This is the Nordic Asia podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast, coordinated by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen and the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku. This is a new COVID-19 episode on India, hosted by and recorded at the University of Helsinki. We are three researchers today coming together in a roundtable discussion to speak about the situation, such as changes, challenges, actions taking in the light of the pandemic in India. With a focus on the journalistic reporting in India itself, but also with some first-hand impressions from India, where actually two of us have been just before the lockdown. My name is Xenia Zeiler, and I was asked to host this roundtable. And here with me today are Professor Sirpa Tenhunen and Dr. Jelena Salmi. And to begin with, let me introduce us in a bit more detail. Sirpa Tenhunen is Professor of Social and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Helsinki. Her research interests include the anthropological study of technology, as well as the anthropology of climate change and development. She has carried out ethnographic fieldwork both in rural and urban India. Her book, Mobile Technology, Mediation and Social Change in Rural India, was published by Oxford University Press just recently in 2018. Jelena Salmi is a postdoctoral researcher in social and cultural anthropology at the same university, the University of Helsinki. She is interested in questions of displacement, development, mobility, climate change, and the human environment nexus. She has carried out ethnographic fieldwork in Ahmedabad, Mumbai, rural Rajasthan, and rural Andhra Pradesh. Her current research focuses on how Kohli fishers, the original inhabitants of Mumbai, struggle to build a future for their community under precarious circumstances, including climate change, plastic pollution, commercial overfishing, and expanding urbanization. And I'm Xenia Zeiler, Associate Professor of South Asian Studies at the University of Helsinki. My research is situated at the intersection of digital media and culture and society, with a special focus on India and the worldwide Indian community. Other research foci and interests include journalism, global digital humanities, and digital and global Hinduism. Some examples for my recent work include projects on video games and gaming and how they interact with society in India and beyond, or research in mediatized Indian festivals and how they are entangled with identity and authority negotiations. So, Sirpa, maybe I can ask you to begin with, can you give us some more information on how the situation in India has unfolded? So India has had the longest and strictest lockdown in the world. It has been under lockdown for around two months now. Uh, Has this uh, long, strict lockdown paid off? Uh, The first day of the lockdown was March 25th, and 
India then had 618 confirmed cases and 13 deaths. Um, it's, India is currently easing the lockdown and now uh, India has 165,000 cases and 4,700 deaths. So these figures make India the ninth worst hit nation in terms of um, COVID-19 cases. In terms of deaths per population, India is just above the China. It's 130th place among the world countries. So, so the fatality rate has remained relatively low, but, uh, but one can question whether this is due to the lockdown, because Bangladesh also has had similar rate of fatality and progress of the epidemic without such a stringent lockdown. Um, it could be that this relatively low fatality rate reflects the lack of testing in, in South Asian countries. Another major factor which could explain the lower fatality rates in India is demographics. The median age in India is lower than in, in many European countries, for instance in Italy. In India the median age is 29 years and in Italy it's 45 years and we know that the COVID-19 affects the elderly population worse than the younger. But but the number of cases is rising steadily and it's it's expected to continue to rise uh, as the lockdown is, is being lifted because of, of the increasing pressure to, to start the economy again. So, so probably um, India will do worse than China did because it has now reached the same figures as China, but, but still the, 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 eco, the epidemic has not been uh, curtailed. And uh, most of the cases uh, have been reported from, from Indian large cities such as Mumbai, Delhi, Ahmedabad, Chennai, Pune and Kolkata. And, uh, and some of these big cities are running out of hospital beds for, for critical patients. Mumbai is the worst hit. It accounts for more than 20% of all cases. But there is one Indian state which has, which has done everything right. This is the southern state of Kerala. Uh, they, uh, it has a population of 35 million, but it has had only four deaths and 897 active cases. And so it's one of the most successful uh, governments in terms of uh, um, coping with the COVID-19. And the health minister of Kerala is um, Mrs. Shaila Chashid. By, by her uh, first profession, she's a chemistry teacher. And she read about the COVID-19 epidemic in China uh, around 20th of January in the internet and then she asked the experts whether it could come to India and they said yes and she started the preparations for curtailing the virus immediately. She put together rapid action teams and they provided um, community kitchens for migrant workers, shelter and community kitchens and, and they have um, distributed information, they have isolated the the people who have carried the virus. So, so this state is an exemplary case. So I think that gives, a base, you get the basic idea of the 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us these details. Details, And you mentioned Mumbai explicitly, and this is where Yelena comes in beautifully, because I understand you have been in Mumbai right um, before the lockdown. So how did the situation seem there? Yes. So um, I was in Mat Island in, in northern Mumbai when the first cases of novel coronavirus were reported from uh, Wuhan. When was that? Uh, this was in uh, in January. I, I had been there for six months before already, and uh, I had the intention of staying until the end of April. So uh, yeah, I was in Mud Island, which which is a semi-urban area at the fringes of the city. It hosts uh, traditional fishing villages, military cantonments, and uh, Bollywood shooting locations. And uh, I was there doing my ethnographic fieldwork among uh, the indigenous Goli fishing community for my research on environmental displacement. And uh, as part of my research, I participated in the work of these small-scale fisheries along with Golis and uh, migrants who were working for them. Um, one of our mainly main daily tasks was uh, drying fish. Uh, while some of this dry fish was used as a delicacy, most of it was sold for agriculture to be used as poultry feed. And many of the migrants were also paid in dry fish. So uh, depending on the day's catch, they normally received dry fish worth of 200 to 500 rupees, which is uh, uh, 240 to 6 euros about. And uh, they then sold this dry fish to middlemen. Um, and the reason why I'm talking about dry fish is that the very first impacts of COVID-19 on the lives of Golis, migrant workers and middlemen was that the demand of dry fish collapsed. And this was because consumers had suddenly started avoiding eating chicken due to rumors according to which chicken spread coronavirus. So chicken farmers no longer bought fish in such large quantities as they used to. So everyone in the dry fish industry was suddenly earning less, the migrants being the worst hit, of course. Uh, they had little social support and no ration cards, which would en enable them to buy subsidized food. Uh, however, at this point, all my interlocutors still saw the virus as a distant Chinese thing, which posed no immediate threat to the health of Indian people. In the fishing harbor where we worked, there were speculations on its origins. Uh, claims that the virus came about because the Chinese will eat anything were common. So people were quick to condemn what they saw as Chinese eating habits. There was uh, this idea that with the right kind of diet, that is vegetarian and seafood, and preventive measures relying on Ayurveda, one could avoid getting sick. There were all kinds of tips circulated in WhatsApp in uh, February, March. Uh, around the same time, I also heard that a hashtag no meat, no coronavirus had started coming up on Twitter, blaming meat eaters for bringing the disease to India. Uh, when, when the virus then spread to Italy, people's attitudes towards me started changing. Foreigners became suspects. Uh, I was often asked about my diet, where I came from, and how long I had been in India, whether I'm from Italy or China, particularly. 
Um, in mid-March, when India banned the entry of foreigners for a month, uh, my partner and I decided to leave the country, anticipating that more restrictions were likely to come. The way that Modi had announced uh, demonetization in 2016 was still fresh on my mind. Mm. After returning to Finland then on uh, March 16, I have been keeping in touch with people in Mud via WhatsApp. And uh, it seems that the fishermen have been hit very hard by the lockdown measures as official fish markets are completely shut down and the Mumbai police imposed an additional curfew on top of the national lockdown. So this means that uh, fishermen have to sell the fish directly from the fishing harbors to consumers and middlemen or illegally in the streets, which has its own risks, but they haven't stopped fishing anyway. Um, this competition over selling space has also caused frictions inside the Koli community. And uh, then social distancing is also impossible in the fishing villages, which are very densely populated, as is many other areas of Mumbai as well. Um, when it comes to migrants, the fishing season ends on the last May, when a fishing ban of two and a half months begins. And fish workers are currently planning their return to the states of Uttar Pradesh and Andhra Pradesh, where most of them come from. Uh, whether it works out or not, no one can say yet. Um, just yesterday, I called my research assistant, who lives in Mumbai and has now started working as a fish vendor in Mutt Island since he lost other jobs. And uh, he said that many of the migrants, some of them underage, and some of them illiterate, are not uh, actually aware of the procedures that one has to undergo in order to travel, whether or not they need to fill an online form, secure a medical certificate, and so on. So although it is now possible, at least in theory, to return home, the fish workers, for the fish workers, the near future is, is shrouded in uncertainty, as for many other migrant workers around India. Thanks, Yelena. Uh, this was uh, very vivid, and I think also you touched many of the debates which then also entered the news uh, reporting and, of course, uh, the debates on social media, migrant workers and their situation just being one of them. But then this would be a question to the two of you. Like we observed right from the beginning of the lockdown that we had these journalistic reports and more so, I think, debates in social media, how the exceptional situation exposes pre-existing fringes and tensions in India and also how this might develop and possibly contribute to changes. So can you give us some of the key issues again and themes which were triggered in such debates, apart from the migrant workers, but of course you can also take up this subject. I think the issue of migrant workers is the, is the biggest debate. Because when Prime Minister Modi um, announced the lockdown, the, it was imposed with a four-hour notice and everything was closed. So these migrant workers who form the largest part of Indian economy, actually, uh, they, they didn't have any income. and They couldn't pay the rent, they couldn't buy food. So, so 
their main strategy was to try to uh, go back to their native villages, to rural areas. But, uh, but the public transport was suspended, so, so they had to try to walk or ride bicycles in the extreme heat. And in May alone, more than 150 migrant workers died on the way, and more are still dying. So this crisis has uh, has brought attention to the to the. It has made visible this informal sector workers, migrant workers, and it also revealed how India is increasingly cover, governed in an authoritarian manner. Decisions are announced suddenly. There are no preparations, no no discussions, and and if this um, policy had been discussed. More, they could have fine-tuned it, they could have provided relief to begin with, like they did in Kerala, but, but they didn't. So, um, so it's also showing that this authoritarian style of governing is not working really well. Of course, in Indian society has been unequal before the BJP government came into power, but earlier I think there was more space for public debate on crucial policy issues. And government policies have neglected these informal sector workers, but they have also neglected the interdependence between the urban and rural areas. So um, now we, we are in the situation that the workers have uh, have left the cities, or they are they are now on their on their way to the villages. And when the businesses try to open up, they find that that there is no labor. They are in the villages, and they don't they don't trust that they could return because uh, there is no security, what will happen. These kind of tensions make it obvious that, that the policymakers have to pay more attention to these migrant workers and in interconnections between the urban and rural society. Do you like to add? Yeah, well, um, another thing that the COVID-19 crisis has uh, brought uh, visible is, uh, is the interdependence uh, between middle and upper classes and the um, maids and other t- domestic helpers. So um, now that uh, uh, during the lockdown, uh, the domestic helpers have not been able to, to reach their working places, many, many of the upper class and middle class households have had to manage on their own. And uh, at the same time, the domestic helpers have lost their jobs or have not been paid, which has brought attention to their insecure pay and working conditions in general. In the beginning of May, when the central government announced lockdown relaxations and allowed domestic helpers to return to work, still some housing societies have banned them from entering. So there's a there's been a debate about whether to let them in or not. As many of the domestic helpers live in slums, the more affluent people are afraid of getting in touch with them, so they they refuse to let them consume their work. So um, it has aside from the migrant situation, is it has brought attention to class tensions in India. And uh, another thing that comes to my mind uh, are the new manifestations of uh, Islamophobia. It started in late March when the news broke about the mass religious congregation organized by an Islamic missionary movement called 
Tablighi Jamaat in Delhi. And this meeting led to the spread of the coronavirus. Then shortly after the news, senior politicians belonging to the ruling Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Chantabati called the gathering a Talibani crime and corona terrorism, which then led to hateful hashtags such as Corona Jihad and Muslim virus being circulated in the social media, Twitter in particular. In the social media, there have also been fake videos of Muslims sneezing or spitting on people, intentionally spreading the virus. So there's this online Hindu nationalist propaganda about Muslims using coronavirus to target Hindus. And sadly, these conspiracy theories have even led to physical attacks against Muslims. So to put it briefly, people's genuine fears of coronavirus have been harnessed in the service of a long-standing anti-Muslim campaign promoted by the BJP and other Hindu nationalist forces. Corona Jihad is just the latest manifestation. Yes, um, you touched uh, the question which I'm going to ask um, uh, right now already, but if we try to uh, summarize or give an outlook on the situation now, regarding the ways in which COVID-19 may contribute to political and social changes in India. What kind of discussions in India have you observed regarding this? I think crisis always offers opportunities to, to do things differently and to, to be innovative. And certainly the plight of the migrant workers has gotten attention unlike ever before. So, so maybe there will be demands to organize better social security and, and and provide citizenship rights to these migrant workers who who often live and work informally in the cities. And um, certainly there is a crisis of uh, health care and it, it, it was not doing well to begin with. India spends very little on public health care and now it, it just becomes obvious that that those states like Kerala, where where the state has um, invested in in public health care, are doing are doing quite well in comparison to most other states. That they, there there is the growing realization that to to keep the economy going, there has to be more investment in public health care. Maybe that, maybe Yelena can talk about the possibilities for political change. Yeah, to pick up on on what Sirpa said first, um, the central government has been criticized for the way it, it handled the migrant crisis and how it left the transport of migrant workers to, to the state government's responsibility and uh, ignored the anguish of migrant workers for weeks. Mm. In my understanding, the situation has been very chaotic. We all have seeing those pictures of people walking hundreds of kilometers, some of them exposed to police atrocities, some of them dying on the way, and uh, people are growing angry. So I'm wondering whether this poor planning and uh, execution of the lockdown, um, which has been compensated by melodramatic tricks typical of Modi, will uh, backfire on him and the BJP in the next election. But uh, then again, the pandemic can also strengthen Modi's personality cult, 
that portrays him as a tough yet humble decision maker and problem solver. And um, in fact, tomorrow, uh, May 30, is, is the first anniversary of the Modi government 2.0. And uh, according to media reports, the BJP is planning a month-long digital campaign which will present Modi as India's savior amidst the crisis. Uh, yes, as you say, as you both said, we can't really predict the future, of course, not in India and not worldwide. This certainly is a situation which is going to stay with us for a very long time. Um, let's hope that some of the discussions and debates which were triggered now in India on different platforms, that they in fact lead to some changes to some um some more reflection um, among the very large population of India overall. Uh, I thank you very much for giving your um, impression, your information, uh, for sharing your thoughts and your on and your view on the situation in India. And let me also please um, make you as listeners aware that there is going to be a second podcast on the COVID situation in India rather soon on the same channels produced in India by researchers in the region of Gujarat in Kutch about the situation NC2 in the places and that will come out as a kind of a... Uh, a report which is really relevant for what we have been talking about today as well. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.